0: Switch. Welcome back to the call up your go-to podcast on the future stars of major league baseball. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And today we are talking about some imminent big leaguers, prospects who we think can kind of break their way into the big leagues. And it's funny before, like between the last two episodes, we said, we were going to talk about Luis Matos. He gets bumped up. Unfortunate circumstances there with the giants as uh, you have Mitch Haniger break his fractures forearm. And that's why Matos pulled from the game. In the second inning, by the way, Matos had already homered at that point, and they pull him out. He literally leaves right then, gets out to San Francisco, makes his debut yesterday. We'll talk a little bit about that. You got an in-person look at Ben Brown of the Cubs yesterday in AAA. We're going to talk a little bit about that because he was lights out, even though his stuff wasn't all the way there. And then we're going to highlight some of the other AAA guys that should be up. One thing I want to say before I kick it to you, Jack, is Some of these names we've talked about a ton, and you know, at the risk of redundancy, we'll try to you know get to a little bit of a different angle as to why these guys might not get up and what it will actually take for them to get up. Instead of just they're playing well, they're playing well. Let's call these guys up because I I think that gets a little tired. But then there's some other names in here that I don't think we've talked much about in terms of a promotion. I will say it's very hitter heavy. Triple A pitching ain't great right now.
1: No, not not at all. And like we were just talking about that like you were struggling to find FIPs under 2. And FIPs under 2 are really good. They're hard to find, but you find several at the major league level at all times. You find a bunch in
0: Double A, especially in the Southern there's, League. There's not a FIP under 3. Dude, I said 2 to you off the air. I just looked again. I don't know why I said 2. It there's not one under 3 of That's qualified bad. pitchers. Of qualified pitchers. No. That's bad,
1: man. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. So yeah. AAA pitching, I haven't really seen very many guys that are just dominant right now. You typically have one or two. Gavin Williams is probably the closest thing that I've seen to dominant, but he's fought some command woes over his last couple of outings. So it's interesting. And we're going to talk about Gavin a little bit more in this episode, but a guy off the top like Matos and Christian Encarnacion Strand, that would be the second time we're talking about him this week. Like we don't yeah. need to tell you much more.
0: No, we said that we were going to leave a little bit on both those guys to just like kind of fill in the blanks here. And I think that more specifically, the way we'll fill in the blanks is uh, just just how they can get up. We obviously saw situation well, one, which was fastball to the forearm of one of your starters. And I yeah. love Mitch Hanniger. That guy is just so unlucky, man. It stinks. Yeah. But the silver lining is instead of getting some you know, quadruple a player that, which is also nice. Everyone deserves their crack. We get a little bit more, more prospect appeal though, with Luis Matos getting up there and picks up a hit in his first at bat. I, I feel like with Matos, there is a good chance that he doesn't come back down because I'm looking at this giant situation and the way we kind of talked about Matt McLean and okay, he gets a chance before Ellie la Cruz to kind of prove his worth and maybe force the reds to put Ellie in a different spot or force them to figure out a timeshare situation there, which they have, it's been just fine. And they've been a big part of the red success. If Matos performs, which I think he will, I don't think the power is going to perform the same way in that difficult stadium, but he's going to hit plenty of doubles, get on base, not strike out, play good defense and center. The giants are this in between team that they have to look at some of their veteran pieces, even if they're not selling and say, Hey, is is there much of a drop-off? I know he had a big hit yesterday, but is there much of a drop-off between Mike Yaskramski and and Luis Matos right now? I don't know. Maybe they have the answer to that. They watch them more. But if the answer is maybe not, then go with Matos and trade Mike Yaskramski. This is a forward-thinking organization that I don't think would be afraid of making a move like that. If Matos looks like he can help them now.
1: Yeah, I, I think... We typically want to view something like this where top prospect comes up because of injury as the Wally Pipp situation or the Bledsoe situation. Like Gehrig oh, came course. up in the 1920s and Wally Pipped Wally Pipp. And then Brady came on and like replaced and injured Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, yeah. With with the contract structure of Mitch Hanniger, it's not going to be Hanniger. No. But I'm with you. Like the Giants are in this phase where they have to do a lot of internal vetting on their roster. Matos is on the roster moving forward. Haniger is on the roster until his contract's up. Who can fall by the wayside? And I think that the Cubs are going through a similar situation, right? Where Morrell is lighting the world on fire in AAA. He gets up, he's OPSing 1,000 at the major league level. Like, Who does that push to the wayside? Is it an Edwin Rios, who you grabbed after he was non-tendered? Is it a Patrick Wisdom? Is he now a trade chip? So I think that the Giants and the Cubs are in a really similar spot. I think that Matos is going to stick. I don't think it's a direct replacement of no. Um, but Luis Matos and, and Mitch Hanager are going to share an outfield. I, I
0: agree. And the thing too is that, you know, Yaskremsky, I'd, I'd need to watch a little bit more defensively, but I'd say at this at this stage, I think Matos could offer just as good, if not better defense. I think he's been a fine defender so far this year, but he's kind of played all over Yaskramski has. Forty games yeah. in center, I think twenty four in the corners. Uh, he's been solid, but I just think Matos could could give you something similar. They also have Jock Peterson. They have Conforto, so they have something to figure out. But if they really feel like Skremski gives them the best best chance this year, he's under control until twenty twenty six, then maybe they end up holding on to Skremski, putting Matos back in AAA because he should definitely just be continuously getting every day at bats <clears throat> and kind of bank on the fact that they're gonna lose one of Conforto or Jock anyways, which could be part of the reason why they hold onto your scramski so it should be interesting to see how they handle Matos but it seems like that they're gonna have some time to figure that out because unfortunately Hanniger might be out for a little bit I don't know if we have an exact timeline on that regardless it's it's a really exciting time for Matos I think it's an exciting time for Giants fans to get another glimpse into the future you've got Casey Schmidt up there you've got Luis yeah. Matos up there Marco Luciano is finally swinging it really well by the way he's on a heater uh by the time we do the next heat sheet he, he might be one of the guys on there with the way he's swinging it. So. Uh, You can definitely see things trending in that direction for them, especially now with Patrick Bailey surprisingly holding his own uh, at the big league level as well. And Blake Sable has been solid. So the young core is coming together there in San Francisco, and we know they're going to spend money uh, this offseason.
1: And that's the thing. You're, you're also finding vets to supplement the young core in a Tyro Estrada, in a Lamont Wade Jr. Like Lamont Wade's had a bounce back. He looks yep. like a, a part of what they're going to do for a couple years down the road. Tyro looks like he's going to be a part of what they're going to do for a couple of years down the road. So these are honestly some of my favorite situations to monitor yep. where the, the Giants were in a tweener phase. And you're going to see both. You're going to see guys get a crack at sticking on a big league roster for the first time in their lives, you're also going to get to see top prospects play in Mm -hmm. relatively high leverage moments. Absolutely.
0: And we'll we'll get to another kind of tight roster situation right now uh, with, with the Cincinnati Reds without going too deep into Christian Encarnacion strand. And we can slice up the numbers in so many different ways to talk about how insane he is. And I did that in the, in the heat sheet because he somehow was better than his, Season OPS, which is crazy because he was like 960 at that point, And it was 1100 or 1170 over the span that, that we were highlighting. I think the thing that stands out the most to me with Christian Encarnacion Strand and the fact that he needs to probably be called up soon and tested is that he pretty much answered the last question that we had, Jack, which was, can he walk? Can he be a little bit more patient? I do think that some of the uptick in walk rate is simply teams just not pitching to him. The amount of yeah. pitches he's seen in the zone has dropped continuously because he is point blank the best hitter in AAA right now. Uh, there, there's nobody I think more feared than Christian Encarnacion Strand in AAA. But regardless, uh, uh, an improvement in the walk rate, an improvement in the in the K rate department, is always going to be good news. He has cut the K rate, he has upped the walk rate, and now it's pretty much there's nothing that you can poke a hole in to say this guy you know isn't ready yet. walk rate over his last 25 games, 20% K rate over his last 25 games. They've played him more at third. I I highlighted that a couple of days ago. He continues to play more third. He's okay there. Um, He's improved a lot. I talked about that like last year about from when he was at juco to now in terms of the defense. I don't know how, how good it could be there. He has a rifle for an arm. So I think the fact that he's capable there and that they continue, they're continue, they continuing to try him there as he's getting closer and closer to his big league debut, I think they want to have a little bit more versatility here. And you know what? It, the bat is what you want. And if he can just be even slightly below average at third, that's fine. And I think he's developing into that. So when do you think we're finally going to see this guy? Because the Reds are playing well at the big league level. You don't want to totally shake things up when when they're going pretty well but this guy can only help you what's so tough
1: is catchers two and three behind tyler stevenson are playing arguably better than tyler stevenson right now and spencer steer is hitting the ball really well and he's playing first base with mclean at short and ellie at third so you're you're taking up the dh spot because stevenson's in the dh spot you're taking up first base because steer is there and you're taking up third with ellie because mclean's at short Yep. They're going to need to make a positional decision on one of these young guys.
0: And I think, I think on, Oh, not even on the young guys. I was going to say that the, the obvious decision would be to remove the, the DH catcher.
1: Yes. I I think so. If I were to make a positional change to one of the young guys, though, it would be Spencer steer playing a corner outfield. Like mm-hmm. steer needs to move to a corner. Um, yeah. McLean playing center was the pipe dream. It's not going to happen. TJ Friedel's actually playing really well. And McLean's a good shortstop, man. I think, Ellie, we've talked about it. Ellie can be an all-world third baseman. Yes. All-world. So just commit to it. I think if you commit to CES at first, India at second, McLean at short, Ellie at third, steer in one of the corner outfield spots, slap him in left, like – Stevenson needs to catch Tyler Stevenson being your DH is no bueno right let now. him catch or
0: get rid of him like yes. it's just that simple because and I'm not a believer in getting rid of guys because you have young players coming up but this is a different situation this is a clog that you have right now and he's not even that good of a bat if you look at what he did in that stretch of like the shortened season and then a little bit before that he definitely looked good but he's been perpetually banged up I don't think that he's a good enough bat to justify him at the DH spot. He's DH three of the last six games. That's just not a guy that I want on my roster. I don't want a, a guy that I'm trying to hide from the catching position and isn't a good enough hitter. He's not Salvador Perez, uh, you know, and, and, and that for that reason, and Salvador brings so many intangibles, get Stevenson out of there. And I think they will move him. Or I think there's a good chance they move him at the deadline. But the problem is they they don't really have a ton of catching depth in the system. They continue to try to draft catchers in the second, third round and and don't really do well there. Um, I, I could see them being all over Kyle Teal in this draft, but he might not be there for them because they got hosed on the uh, on the uh, lottery. The first lottery, the Reds got cooked. I think they have the tenth pick, so it, they're in an interesting spot. But I do still think that there'd be teams interested in Tyler Stevenson. I think they could move him, and I think it would clear up the situation a little bit because at the end of the day, this guy doesn't look like a catcher. So I agree. You had two games this year. I think where Spencer Steers played left. Spencer Steer is a really solid bat, but I think you, you dampen his value by putting him at first, even if he's a good defensive first baseman, because he's not going to offer the kind of power that that position demands. And I think, you know, that kind of takes a little bit of the value away from the bat. If he can be a league average defender and left, even slightly below, I look at, uh, Brian De La Cruz in left field yeah. for the Marlins. That guy is heinous, but he hits and, yeah. you know, and he's not a liability on the base paths. He's just, a he's a good, he's a good player. Like he's a good bat. There's no way. There's just no way that Spencer steer is a worse outfielder than Brian De La Cruz. I'm not willing to accept that. So I really believe that he can get comfortable out there. He's a good enough athlete and figure it out. But the red, this is a great situation. Could you imagine telling Reds fans that we'd be having this conversation two years ago? I- no, it, it's really cool. And like I saw
1: I saw Jeff Passan's, um appearance on the Pat McAfee show. Did you see that by chance?
0: No. Shit. That's so, awesome. I got to go check yeah. that
1: out. Passan was on McAfee. And I'm typically not like a McAfee watcher, but Passan almost like lets his hair down a little mm. bit on that McAfee show. And, and I love Passon. I think this guy unfiltered is so much fun. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the Cincinnati Reds and, you know, they, they brought up Herbie's love for the Cincinnati Reds and the Herb Street, Ken Rosenthal thing, like really interesting. And the C. Trent Rosecrans thing. Um, But w- what Passon was saying was this Reds team feels a lot like the Baltimore Orioles from last year mm-hmm. where they were shit in 2021 like horrible and then all of a sudden there's this direct infusion of all world prospect talent and they get fun and they ride that wave to being one of the better teams in baseball a year later yep that's what the reds can do with a fully healthy lodolo with green back and extended if ashcraft regains form with abbott in the fold for a whole year with alexis diaz there's Connor so Phillips many, is coming, baby. Connor Phillips. There's so many good things. So my thing is, if you can implement Christian Encarnacion Strand to that fold, like
0: if you can add that wrinkle now, you're going to be so much better at the beginning of next year. Yeah. I think maybe they're waiting for some more clarity on Joey Votto. Because once Joey Votto is healthy, you got to play that. You got to let that guy play. They I mean, think this is his final swan song, right?
1: So yeah, this is his swan song. So that's yeah. like the
0: Miguel Cabrera situation. I, I it sucks. I know fans are gonna be like, "What the hell?" Joey Votto's earned that. And yeah. the worst case scenario would be you, you bring up CES and then Votto comes back, and now you're like, "Who do we? Who gets displaced?" And now you got to send him back down. It that might be part of it. That's purely speculative. I have no idea. But you don't
1: need to like if CES is playing first, Votto is DHing or like they swap
0: and CES is DHing and Vado's playing first. Like just make Stevenson catch or not have him there. Yeah, exactly. Just just make that dude catch. If he stinks there, like whatever. Kirk Casale hitting like 114. I don't even know what he's <laughs> hitting. But and Maly, whatever. So yeah. this is a fun situation in Cincinnati. And I'll say a big reason why it's happened so quickly is Matt McLean. I like to was supposed to do this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Elito Cruz is the number one prospect in baseball. It's awesome what he's doing, but we're, he's supposed to come up and impact. They don't always do that, but the number one prospect, that's kind of the expectation. Matt McClain, we were singing his praises, and uh, you know, I i don't know if even we were expecting him to hit the ground running like this. That, I think, has been a huge X factor in their success. The other guys stepping up, of course, that's big. But when we look at the young talent, McClain exceeding expectations has to be one of the biggest things that's helped them. And then now you got the other guys, like you mentioned that have that have really added to the fold here so we'll bump over to another pair that we've talked about a lot and we probably won't spend too much time on them but I just want to kind of highlight how they can get up now too because Colton Cowser and Jordan Westberg I'm glad that we're taking this different angle of these guys are so good these guys are so good like I can tell you 12 different reasons why these guys belong in the major leagues uh, whether it's the fact that they are continuously getting better at their positions, whether it's the fact that they continuously are tapping into more game power, striking out less, looking better at bat by at bat, and just look like more complete players. Both of them impact the game in so many different ways. Kauser in center could play a really good corner. Westberg at shortstop could play a really good third base or second. The Orioles are, are playing great baseball right now. So it, it's really hard to say, hey, Orioles do this. Hey, Orioles do that. Because they're doing it right, right now. And when it ain't broke, don't fix it again. Here's a duplicate situation here. That also said, you could say, oh, well then move them. But what if they really believe in these guys? Just because they're not up doesn't mean they don't believe in them. Yeah, It just means that they don't believe that Colton Cowser will be better than Austin Hayes right now. Which that's acceptable. Austin Hayes is raking. And maybe they don't think he's going to be better than Santander. That's acceptable. Santander is proven to be consistent. And Cowser does have some splits issues. Westberg, I think you can make the stronger case for promoting, but yes. every time I slander Adam Fraser, he rakes. Uh, I don't know what he's at right now, but I understand wanting to keep the veteran core or the you know the guys that are up there right now. There, you're winning, and maybe Adam Frazier is a big part of what they're achieving in the clubhouse. You know, Aaron Hicks is playing well. Like it's one of those situations where. I understand. I I know we always want to see the young guys. I want to see the young guys, but this just might, they might just be victims of circumstance here, Jack. Like, what do you think? So yes, I think Orioles fans are
1: also probably looking at the lineup right now. And I I do think that Orioles, the Orioles fan base is one of the most in tune with the baseball aspect of this that I can interact with. Like I love Orioles fans because they fucking get it. And they know that they had to go through the shit to get here. Um, you look at the lineup that they're running out every day right now, and you see Ryan O'Hearn at first and Aaron Hicks in center. They're raking. they know yeah they're raking, but they also know that they're time buyers because Mountcastle has vertigo and Cedric Mullins is on the shelf too. Yeah, so, so. they're not time buyers for you know two more prospects. Like it's not like hey we're blocking Cowser with Aaron Hicks. No, you're waiting until you know Mountcastle's healthy and that's why O'Hearn's playing you're waiting until Mullins is healthy and that's why Hicks is playing but what I will say is Jorge Mateo you need him on this roster yeah I think you need him as a bench bat. Yes. you don't need him as the everyday shortstop no as soon as they are ready to relegate Jorge Mateo to that utility role pinch runner high leverage runner type then Westberg should be the shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. You wait until Hayes cools off. You wait until Santander cools off. Santander was playing a little bit of first base at a point early this year for Cowser. Cowser is more blocked than Westberg is, I think. Yeah. And you don't want to bring these guys up
0: to sit on the bench. I think that's what's happening with Joey Ortiz. That's a thing. And and it's weird. I, I was sitting asking myself this the other day because I, from what I had read, Going into this year, the Orioles seemingly were higher on Ortiz than Westberg. At least that's what the the, the energy was. That's what people thought. But, but they're both I don't, falling. But here's my question: Are they higher on the guy that they're sending back and forth, like uh, with frequent flyer miles? in Joey Ortiz, or are they sure. higher on Westberg who they're kind of protecting and letting just rake and triple a and not sending back and forth. So Ortiz is struggling in the big leagues. Then he goes back to triple. It takes him a couple games. Sometimes to get acclimated again. I think it's impacting his numbers in triple. He's still been fine, but I think it's impacting him a little bit. How couldn't it? You're going back and forth. I do wonder like who, who do they value higher? They keep going back and forth with this guy, but maybe that's because they trust him more or are they protecting Westberg a little bit more? It's an interesting situation. Um, I think they do need to relegate Mateo. I think you're right. And I think they kind of have to a degree. He doesn't play every single day. Yeah. But I also feel like Adam Frazier, he's a good piece to have. But I'd rather see that guy on the bench as well. I thought Gunner Frazier Henderson was going to see corner outfield time, but he's playing second base all the time. Please no. Yeah, please no. And, and Gunner's starting to really heat up, Dude. like really heat up. He's, I'm I'm bought in on what of, Gunner's doing. Of right. course, of course, he just had to work through th- some things. The league adjusted to him. He just turned 22. He's playing a little bit more shortstop now, so I prefer Gunner at short. I think okay. that you go with either or either Westberg slash Ortiz at second, and then you can maybe platoon them with with uh, Adam Frazier. Like if there's a really tough, hard throwing righty that you just don't want those guys up against, but put Frazier there. If you want to just give him a day off, you like the matchup for Frazier. He has good numbers in his career against the guy, put Frazier there. But I, I do feel like they have to figure out what their plan is. And this is another team with a lot of moving parts. Ramon Arias is another player where he's just consistently solid, but he's just consistently solid. So it's yeah. one of those It's one of those spots. I wouldn't change Arias though. He's got a 116 WRC plus. He's a good player. I, I would look at second base there keep Gunner playing shortstop more, relegate Mateo to the bench. And I think one of Ortiz or Westberg are giving you an upgrade there. And the outfield basically wait until Aaron Hicks sucks, which I I feel like is inevitable. It's awesome to see him performing. I love it when guys leave New York where they get booed and succeed elsewhere, especially when it's in the division. But if that time comes, then I think it'll finally be Kowser time. I think Kowser has leapfrog stowers for sure in the pecking order now.
1: So my other thing is I, I think that they may need to clear some space. And I think that um they should be hitting what is it, Mike Chernoff. Yeah, Mike Chernoff is a GM of the Guardians. I think they they should be hitting him every day. We got a text from Ryan Finkelstein, our managing editor at JustBaseball.com earlier today. And, and they want to put something together on the Orioles being the perfect landing spot for a Bieber, a frontline starter. And yeah. if Bieber is somewhat available right now, force their hand right now. Because Kauser's ready, but blocked. Yeah. If you offered Hayes, Kerstad, Stowers that's for Bieber? Weird. I think that's too much. That's too much. Okay, so Hayes and Kerstad?
0: Yeah, that's Hayes exactly what we that. propose, exactly what Peter and I proposed on the Just Baseball Show. I think it was yeah. Santander and uh, Kerstad.
1: Yeah, see, like, I I think they get a big league bat to make them, like, better at the point or make the offense better, and they get another big league-ready prospect
0: Yeah. for that's Shane crazy. Bieber, and you clear space for Kowser. To me, to me, that's the easiest decision to make. And then you look at some of the other moves that they can make. You have uh, Stowers, who struggled, but there's still plenty of teams that I think would have interest. Send him to one of the rebuilding ball clubs for some pitching and a reliever for a five. Yeah, send him, send him to to Washington for Trevor Williams and maybe send him a him to filler. Detroit for Lorenzen. Yeah, exactly. For so that that's what I, I think they're going to do it. I'm really in, interested to see what the Orioles. Are going to do? We've been so eager for them to to make moves, but maybe this is all kind of played right into their to their hand because now they have all of these resources. They have more clarity on their roster, and all all of their guys have only appreciated in value, uh, pretty much except for Stowers. So they're in a great spot. Yeah, but let's fly through now the individual names. We're not going to go as deep on all of these players, but you know, think th- these are a bunch of different guys that we wanted to discuss you have Bo nailer on here and I wanted to mention Bo nailer because he might not be so imminent Jack they just bumped him down if I'm not mistaken are, are they are they like trying to figure out how they're gonna get him to catch more like I I'm so confused on what the situation is with with Bo nailer I feel like every time he's gonna get ready to to get called up it just seems like he might not I I, I don't really know what the read is with him
1: It's so stupidly weird. I don't know what the read is with Naylor, but I'm like, I've watched a guy that I think is just ready, like full-blown ready. He he walks enough. He's hitting for enough juice. He's a 900 OPS guy in triple. Like, I don't know why they're not clearing a runway for him to join the Guardians.
0: It's got to be the catching side. It's got to be the receiving. I got to watch more on the receiving side. Like, holy shit, dude. Is their catching situation any better? I don't think so. I'd rather I'd rather let him struggle and see what yeah. happens. Um I just feel like every time he's he's about to be ready to go, he gets like bumped down in the pecking order or it just it's a weird spot. They must there's something that they don't like. I don't know what it is. He stole two bases by the way yesterday. <laughs> and so he's just such a sick athlete. Yeah. Also though as a catcher, opponents were were two for two on him yesterday. He has struggled to to limit the run game. And I, I think that's part of it, but that is also something that can be on on the on the pitchers as well. It's a hard thing to be able to totally attribute to him. But in the last 10 games, base stealers are nine for 10. That's that's obviously something they're looking at. But he went through a stretch before that where he was actually cutting down runners. So it's interesting. I, I would be more than willing to give up a little bit on the base stealing. Uh, You know, in the base dealing arena for way more offense, given that this team can't hit a lick and you're going to get a potential offensive upgrade at catcher. And I don't think he's a liability there. So it's really weird. The bow nailer situation is one of those that I I won't pretend to totally understand. I'm going to do a dive into the receiving a little bit more just to try to get more of an idea of why this may be happening, because it just is weird to me. Even if you don't put him in against lefties, he's demolishing righties just to let him demolish righties and catch. And honestly, there's days where he'd probably be one of your better options at DH with the way some of these guys have been swinging it. So
1: a rhetorical question is my only thing on Naylor. Do you want his 900 OPS or do you want Mike Zanino and his 580 when he's hitting a buck 77 and not limiting the run game at all or Kim Gallagher and his 350 OPS? Is, Is Zanino not throwing guys out? I don't think he's throwing guys out. I think people are running rampant on the Cleveland so he, guard.
0: So basically, would you rather have Mike Zanino stealing strikes or Bo Nailer picking up hits? <laughs> like it's just and I and you can have both. You can have Zanino as the backup. You can still have him catch plenty and have him catch the guys that like throwing to him. The only thing that I can think of is Guardians pitchers don't like throwing to Bo Nailer. But it didn't sound like that when we talked to Cal Quantra on the Just Baseball show. It didn't sound like that when we when we when we talked to him and asked him all about it. So it, it's an interesting spot. And I feel for Naylor, but he is just 23. He's got time. Uh, but he he should get a crack soon. And I think he Oppon- will. I do, I do think he will somehow.
1: Opponents are 40 for 48, in the stolen base department oh. against
0: Sanino. Jeez. Okay, so like it's really just about stealing strikes. Like that's it. I'm it's good. crazy to me. It's crazy to me. Another catcher, real quick. Ivan Herrera. Weird situation in St. Louis because in St. Louis, we've got a four-year deal worth what 80, what was it, 80 million dollars for Wilson it's about Contreras. the 85. 85. And you know, he's not moving off a catcher. Well, we don't think so. Uh it depends on what what how the the Cardinals are feeling in any given day. Ivan Herrera has answered a lot of the questions that we had about him. He looks fantastic. He's in the ball hard, sitting in the air more. He's using the whole field. He looks fantastic. His approach is great. He's cut the chase rate to 16%. Every concern I had about Ivan Herrera has been mitigated. He's got power too. He looks really good. And I, I think that the Cardinals are in a weird spot because Herrera is a top 100 prospect now. Looks like it. And it depends on how concerned they are about Wilson Contreras. They were concerned enough to relegate him from the starting role in the first month of his gig. Do they look to maybe move him to more of a DH role? And have Herrera be that catcher if they really like him? Are they in a position to to move off of Herrera because they signed Wilson Contreras? I don't think so. So Herrera's kind of stuck too. I, yeah. What do they do here?
1: Trade him, like trade him for pitching? I don't. It's so weird because shouldn't you be holding on to prospects when you're the worst team in the National League? You have the That's worst. Why I think record. they hold on to him,
0: <laughs> and, and the, they're the worst team in the National League. Wilson Contreras has been bad. But do you genuinely believe that they are going to
1: operate like a seller? Uh, No,
0: but I don't think they're going to
1: operate like a buyer. But reach, I think they might like deep in my gut. I'm reaching into my soul and I'm saying, what are the St. Louis Cardinals going to do? And they're going to say, oh, this is a bad division. We can come back and win
0: it. Yeah. Until they're mathematically eliminated. They can though. I know. But if, if Wilson Contreras was performing, I'd say move him. But I, I feel like there's very clear questions that the Cardinals front office has about Wilson Contreras. If they could have a mulligan and undo the deal, I think they'd do it in two seconds. Yeah. So why would you trade your your big league ready catcher if you're that concerned about your big league catcher? Because they like Kisner, as weird as it sounds. like Really interesting situation. What I will say, though, from the lens of Herrera, He's just about ready for a shot. He's not striking He's, out. Yeah. He's walking. He's hitting the ball hard. He's everything looks good. Everything. So we'll we'll see what they do. But Herrera is forcing their hand, which is a great thing to do. That's all you can do as a player. Yeah. Just turned 23, by the way. Yep. Simone Muziati. We've talked about him a little bit, so we don't need to go too deep. But Simone Muziati of the Phillies. Is there really a rule for him? I don't know. Is he playing well? I do know, yes. 88% zone contact, raking as of late. He's hitting 360, 360, yep. and he's slugging a little bit too. High ground ball rate, and that's fine. He's fast, he gets away with it, and he's not whiffing, so it's fine. I, this is a candidate that I think could get up to the big leagues and struggle. High chase rate, high ground ball rate, probably a higher risk prospect. Uh, given, given what he's doing versus what you'll get at the big league level. To me, this is uh, Dave Dombrowski salivating at the trade chip he just found. <laughs> yes, he is. He is an uncovered gem
1: and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get a reliever for this yep. guy.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Um, oh. Yeah. I I think spot on because you, you look at the outfield right now, you've got Schwarber, you're not moving off Schwarber. You've got Castellanos in right. Castellanos has bounced back pretty well. Uh, and then Brandon Marsh in center. You're not moving off Marsh either. Uh, And then you've got Harper DHing as he works his way back. So there's no space. Um, You know, I guess there's space on the bench. You could put him on the bench, but you're at risk of him underperforming when he gets to the big league level. And he's 24.
0: Like, let let him play and triple at that point.
1: Yeah. So I I think that, yeah, this guy is a a trade chip that's going to result in an eighth inning guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't go the way the Ben Brown thing did. Which, by the way, we will wrap up with the Ben Brown start at the end. Uh, hopefully it doesn't go that way for for the Phillies uh, with the David Robertson deal. Which Robertson was good, but I don't think you want to give up a Ben Brown type. Muziotti looks like a fourth outfielder to me. I think yep. he could he could be a you know a starting outfielder for a third division team and and maybe hold his own. But again, this is still a pretty good found piece there, and and is is forcing the Phillies hands to either move him or or potentially bring him up if somebody hopefully doesn't, but unfortunately goes down. Yeah. Jonathan Aranda I threw in here. He, he's technically not a prospect because he's been called up. And I think he's kind of exceeded his rookie limits, but he is on one two home runs yesterday for the Rays, triple A affiliate in Durham. They've been playing him at second and third and first. So a little bit of versatility there. The Rays are the best team in baseball. So I I, I, the, I, I don't want to keep saying the same thing, but you could see him getting moved. I also could see them them using him in some capacity. They they prefer Curtis Mead to him, and Curtis Mead has been hurt and and underperforming this year because he's been hurt. So I could see teams trying to get Meade. They're going to say no. They could move Aranda. Aranda's is so good, and I want to see him just consistently get at bats at the big league level. I know he hasn't performed at, the, at at the big leagues, but he is more than ready to just get those consistent at bats. Three twenty one. 963 OPS, 321 batting average. He's walking. Strikeout rate's pretty low, 22%. He just, he just hits. I, Aranda, I just don't want to see him as a Durham Bull anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's played 156 games in Durham, and he's hitting 320 with a 930 OPS. 156 games for Jonathan Aranda in AAA. I'm just going to run you through the numbers. Slashing 319, 408, 522, 37 doubles, 27 homers, 127
0: driven in. Think about this. Those numbers are nuts. We talk about Shane Bieber. He could plug into the the Guardians lineup too and instantly be an upgrade bat-wise. Would he not? Yes, he would. (laughs) I mean,
1: that's a crazy thought for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm that just kind of
1: shut me down. I'm short circuiting right now.
0: You got to add a lot more pieces, but Aranda is, is definitely somebody the Guardians would be interested in. Okay, so, question
1: one. could you throw the Guardians, Aranda and Manzardo, in the same deal, or are they oh, just? I think
0: Manzardo is so good. I, I think they'd really struggle to move him.
1: Yeah, but, but- that's what puts. Tampa over the top yeah, getting beat it does bird.
0: it does and you have mead and I still fully fully believe in mead and Xavier Isaac's coming up I love that and, that and that you've game. got Yandi with service left yandi has got, got so much control you, you could got do Isaac it Paredes with so much control we could do it you could do it you could and I, those are two pieces that <laughs> the, the Guardians aren't getting two, two better bats than that I can tell you that uh, in a deal they'd, they'd be hard pressed to find two better bats than that. And Manzardo looks just about big league ready too. So that, it's an it, interesting situation there. I think Manzardo is one of the safer bats you're going to find, maybe the safest bat in the minor leagues. That that
1: would be one of those trades that just breaks your
0: mind. Like mm-hmm. we talk
1: about the Soto deal and how that breaks every prospect person's mind because they yeah. know like the possible talent that they're getting. If Cleveland got a Ronda and Manzardo for Shane Bieber, that's one of those that I think, you know, that the casual baseball fan would be like, Is is this a good deal for Cleveland? And we'd be saying, oh, my
0: gosh, this is earth shattering. Yeah, 100%, 100%. More deep cut name and a guy that I'm hopefully going to try to get on the pod pretty soon. Davis Schneider of the Toronto Blue Jays has been one of the biggest breakout bats this year. Schneider is 5'9", 180 pounds, 24 years old in AAA. And in an area that I really think it's interesting how much power this guy has added. So Davis Schneider, he's always been a speedy guy, puts a bat on ball and and just kind of can play a bunch of different positions. And it's pretty dynamic. 102 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity last year. He had an 823 OPS. He's pretty much hit at every level. He's just kind of been overlooked. This year, 106 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity, a four mile per hour jump. You don't see that from five, nine, 24 year olds, four mile per hour jump. He's got a 938 OPS in triple a he's slashing 267 388 550 14 homers Schneider ditched his old timing mechanism for a toe tap now and the toe tap has worked for him. He stays pre-stacked on his backside. The toe tap keeps him there and he is explosive. It's a le- letting his athleticism just eat as a hitter. He's hitting the ball in the air a ton only a 32% ground ball rate. He uses the whole field. I think David Schneider is a big league piece. He's he's kind of that starter kit for Whit Merrifield. He plays second. He can play the outfield. He flies. He's got sneaky pop. He steals bags. I'm not saying he's Whit Merrifield, but I think he's a big league piece, kind of like Samad Taylor who we're going to talk about. Yeah. I love the David Schneider story. I think he was a 20 something round pick. He's a great dude, hard worker. And I think this guy deserves a big league crack. It'll take somebody getting hurt or, or whatever. But I think David Schneider provides way more value to the Blue Jays roster than Kevin Biggio, for example.
1: Yes. Um, no, I listen, looking at his numbers, I, I'm totally with you. And the thing that jumps out, it, you mentioned the power surge. He's two back of his career best. He had 16 homers between high A double and triple last year. He's got 14 so far in 60 fewer games. Played yeah. 113 games at 16 homers last year, 53 games already 14 we know Buffalo from that, you know, 2020 season yeah. that the blue Jays were playing in, in Buffalo that, you know, ball gets out there. Like Marcus Semyon was, you know, a, a big fan of Buffalo and Dunedin. Um, but dude, I mean,
0: you, you can't ignore what this guy's doing. You want to hear something hilarious? Cause I was thinking yeah. the same thing as you were saying that. And I pulled something up. Well, first of all, the, the exit velocities will will at least help contextualize that the uptick in power is, is for real. Yeah. But of course, that doesn't always mean home runs. It does. You'd assume that there'd be more home runs in an environment where the ball absolutely flies. Home games for Davis Schneider 212, 340, 365 is 705 OPS. Away games for Davis Schneider 311, 429, 699, and 1128 OPS.
1: Okay. So Davis Schneider just told me to go eat
0: shit with those home road splits. How weird is that though? Because Buffalo so is weird. Buffalo is a launch pad, so that's like, might, But there might be a backdrop there, like it's a weird backdrop. I watched the Marlins play there. I remember in 2020, we watched yeah. those games. Like it's it's a little bit weird. Some some people just don't see the ball well in certain environments, and that's a unique backdrop. It might just be that I'm I'm actually encouraged by those splits. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but like that's good news.
1: No, that's like that's like a pitcher throwing really well at Great American Ballpark and and sucking on the road. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It doesn't make it. Easy. It's fully backwards here. Um, no, maybe his diet is also on track on the road too. He might be spending <laughs> too much time at Anchor Bar and Duffs in Buffalo. Yeah,
0: I would like, say too too many chicken wings in Buffalo. Yeah, too um, many wings. I love it though. So I'm 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 going to actually reach out to Davis and try to get him on because I need to hear about these home road splits now too. I think he's better than Samad Taylor. I really do, because he's younger by almost a year. He hits the ball harder. He provides a lot of the same things. That said, Samad Taylor deserves a crack, too. He's now with the Royals, and the guy's just hitting 304, 408, 464, 872 OPS. The Royals stink yeah, flat out. They just stink, and it sucks because Vinny Pascantino just went down, ruined my year. I'd really feel for him with the shoulder call up some odd you, you guys need just some excitement yeah the power is fringy and I don't think he'd hit more than seven eight maybe ten home runs in a big league season yeah but the versatility the speed the bats of ball the patience the walk rate this is a big league piece even if it's as a bench player he's a big league piece I was texting
1: Jared Perkins. Who's new to the just baseball fold, who is a big Royals guy. Um, great podcast coming to our network beyond the sea or uh, behind the seams, behind the seams, which focuses on um, not only the mental health side, but also just the personal non-baseball side of yeah. baseball player, the humans and, that they are. And yeah. Yes, exactly. The humans that they are And, and Samad Taylor will be uh, a guest on behind the seams. and, um, I was texting him because Omaha came to Indianapolis last week. And I was like, dude, Samad Taylor's a big leaguer. I have no idea he's, why he's not up there. I said the same thing about Diron Blanco, who's 30. Blanco is up now. That guy stole 46 bags in 49 games <laughs> in AAA ball this year, which is nuts. He was it's leading the league by such a wide margin. But with Diron Blanco as the leadoff man and Samad Taylor as the two hitter, that was game-changing speed at the top of that lineup. Fun. And Samad, It like, if you've got a middle infield tandem, because Samad can play a corner, he can also play second base. If you've got a middle infield tandem of of Massey and Witt with Samad spelling them or hopping in the corner, I'm just thinking about Samad Taylor at the bottom of that lineup turning back over to a Bobby Witt. Like, those are two very, very dynamic athletes.
0: And, and that's how you make this team watchable, and that's how you might – win some ball games. I, I that's how Oakland has been squeezing out. Some wins is with a Ruiz and, and some of the other fun pieces that with speed and, and that you just impact the game in a few different ways. Saman walks, which I think is big. Cause that's, that's a team that does not walk. You have Bobby White who doesn't walk. You have several other guys at Nick Prado has been awesome. And he's a guy that walks, but Taylor last two games, Homer Homer game before that three walks, he's walked in three consecutive games. He's so patient and he's stealing bags. I think you look at the last. I'm gonna try to cue up the last eight ball games. He's seven for seven on stolen bases. Just just bring him up. He's gonna help you. He's gonna make your team more watchable. And I think he can help you win a couple ball games. I know that they're not that interested in winning ball games right now. But Samad Taylor, great stuff over there. High floor guy. Speaking of high floor, Justin Foscu. Justin Foskey with the Texas Rangers, Jack. If I were making a trade theme of the podcast, if I'm making a trade with the Texas Rangers and let's say it's for a blue chip pro, like a, it's a big deal. Like it's a massive package. Foscue is probably the second piece. I would, if I went risky on the first piece, I would need Foscue as the second piece because he is yep. as safe as they come. I would love to get Foscue in a return. If I'm a big league team, if I'm a rebuilding team, this guy, let me hit you with some numbers, Jack. You'll, yeah. You can go with the surface level, but let me hit you with the behind the scenes numbers here yeah. on just how safe this dude is. And then I want you to kind of accentuate how that is translated into, you know, on the field performance. Yeah. 92% zone contact, yeah. 103.5 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. I always talk about how I look for two types of hitters. Are you more of that contact, uh, patience and get on base kind of guy, hit tool driven player? Or are you more of that power-driven player? Yeah. If you can be just phenomenal at one of them, then I'm not going to have as much worry about the other side. Usually you usually want to be pretty solid in both areas. And, and obviously, guys are going to be a little bit more proficient in one area than the other. For Foscu to be at the 99th percentile or 98th percentile in the hit tool department, yeah. I would pallet a 90th percentile exit velocity all the way down to like 100.5 miles per hour, like some odd tailor but I don't have to with him 103.5, 90th percentile exit velocities above average. So I have elite bat to ball above average power and a good approach. That is the safest profile I can find. I don't have to slide my scales. I can keep them both high. And that's why Justin Foscue to me is as can't miss as they come. I'm not saying he's gonna be a superstar, but I'm saying he's going to be an above average big league bat who can play first, second, or third.
1: Yes. So that's what I was going to say. Defensive versatility. And you are finding the safest guy in minor league baseball at this point. Maybe I, more than Monsanto, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's hyperbolic to say he is the safest bat in minor league baseball at this point. He's got 13 doubles, eight homers. I, he's slashing 277, 405, 488. The thing that jumps out is the 15% walk rate and 11% K rate. He's never forfeiting at bats. Like it's always resulting in quality at bat. Yeah and he can play three positions on the infield, dude, like yeah. he's going to make a big league team better, whether it's – I don't think it's going to be the Rangers.
0: It's hard to make uh, them better.
1: <laughs> yeah, It's hard to make them better, and, like, there's there's no space at either of those spots for him, at any of those spots for him. Um, but, dude, like, I think Foscue is, is one of those guys that an organization won't know what they're getting until they get him.
0: Yeah, 100%. Unless they they're looking at these numbers and I, if they are that I'd be all over him uh, as somebody that I think you just high probability, big leaguer. You want those guys in packages. And um, I, I want to do an episode in the future of kind of, I was just talking about this with my good friend, Mike Rothenberg, a catcher in the Tigers organization. Who's I think one of the smartest baseball players. I know we should do like a philosophical episode of kind of what we look for and, and kind of how I break down the data, what you look at when you're watching guys uh, cause it was one of the more fun conversations I had. That was like a little teaser in what I was talking about with fosQ, but that'll be a, an episode that we'll we'll have to do down the line here. and I think people might enjoy that. real quick before we get to the last few players, a couple pitchers uh and and one or two more bats. want to tell you about so rare MLB, which we've talked about on the just baseball show. It's free fantasy baseball that you can play with us. If you click the link in our episode description, you can join our league which is a ton of fun. And I know that a lot of people that that play or that listen to this podcast are like prospectors, Dynasty Fantasy, all that good stuff. The way it works here is you draft your team, you own those cards, you start your lineup and you can win rewards. If you were really loving the free to enter competitions where you can win prizes and rewards, then you can enter the limited competitions, which of course I'm in, where you buy those limited cards, depending on who it is. Younger players are a little bit more expensive, just like Dynasty League, because you know, you are holding onto that card and making it better and better and better. But, you know, I picked up Michael Lorenzen for three dollars. I picked up Kerry Carpenter for four dollars and pieced together my lineup. In those leagues, you can win really rare cards that can put you in the higher end lineups that can win you money, VIP experiences, tickets, all that good stuff. But if you just like playing for the fun of it, which I know a lot of people in my DMs do, I know you do too, Jack, draft yeah. your team for free, join our league, play with us And in our league, we're giving away just baseball merch every week to the folks that come in first place. So it's a lot of fun. And if you come in first in our league, you're probably going to get a good reward from from so rare. You'll probably get a free limited card, which ends up being, you know, if you don't want to build your limited lineup, you can sell that card or you could use that to start building your limited lineup. It's a ton of fun, man. And it's been fun having people interact with us and uh, tell us, you know, this is my lineup. What do you think? And now I'm like, I'm not helping you too much because we're competing against each other. But it's been a lot of fun.
1: No, I mean, I'm getting trounced by a lot of our listeners, which is tough. Um, yeah. I, I might need to start. I haven't spent a, a dollar and I'm having a good time, relatively speaking, um, having not spent a dollar. But the reason I'm having a bad time is because my cards that I've gotten at the end of the each of the last two weeks are nick martinez and tanner Howe. so i'm thinking i need to buy in a little bit more and like not get stuck with this
0: so the way it works is with the free to enter competitions where you finish determines the tier of player that you get in a card reward so you're finishing shitty and you're getting unexciting players right for the free to enter competitions you draft your team you can draft good players you just drafted crappy players but also When you finish, you get good rewards of even if you don't get a limited card, you could still get a really solid common card, plug that guy into your lineup. And now your lineup just got even better. So you don't have to spend a dime and your team will keep getting better and better. But if you want to get into the limited competitions, I can help you there, buddy. I can help you.
1: I appreciate that. I drafted good players like I've got McClanahan and Joe Ryan. I've got Tatis. I've got Luis Robert
0: and like yeah. it's just not clicking for it's just it. not click it that's the thing they all got to kind of perform at the same time too yeah. I, but it's a lot of fun and I think you guys will enjoy it if you have any questions feel free to hit me in the DMS uh to build your free team if you want to get interested in building like the the paid teams that's also really fun I'm happy to help you out with both but free to enter a lot of fun come play fantasy baseball with us it's so rare MLB. link is in the episode description yep let's talk about a couple arms Gavin Williams is an interesting one because I don't know if he's as imminent with the command issues he's had of late. But <laughs> the theme of this podcast has been trading the frontline starter for the Guardians. If he is traded, you'd have to assume that Gavin Williams is the first man up, right? Yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. So that's the case, and and it's so funny because these guys end up being so good that we pit them against themselves. And I think that's exactly what we're doing with Gavin Williams. Yeah, It's just the thing with him is when he was in double and the first few triple-A starts, it was shutout or one run. Now over the last handful of starts, he's given up about two runs a start. He had one start where he gave up three earned runs. Oh no, <laughs> he's still been good. It's still been quality starts. It's been six innings, three hits, two runs, six and a third, four hits, two runs five innings, two hits, two runs. The long ball's got him a little bit, and the walks have got him a little bit. He's so good that he's pitched around that, but this is Gavin Williams kind of, I think, struggling. I think this is showing you how good he is. His last six starts, a 3-9 ERA, a 4-2-3 fit, 11% K rate, or sorry, 11% walk rate, 32% K rate, four home runs. He's going to have the stuff to bail himself out of pretty much any jam that he gets himself in but he's just got himself in more jams with the walks i i you you teased it because he's also two hit by pitch in that span you teased it jack i really just think it's it's the walks four home runs in six games i mean he's better than that but that's not that bad and two of them just came in omaha i really think it's the walks right now and i'm not really worried about that with him
1: no i'm not either The, the thing that jumps out to me is like if three runs against him in a start is his worst start of the year He's ready. <laughs> That's yeah. my thing. He's one of the better pitching prospects in baseball because I think he's proven with, for the most part, a two-pitch mix. And the curveball is getting better. Um, what well, He's mixing it a change every now and again, too. But with that fastball slider, he is unblow Like yeah. th- There's no crazy start against him, at least in the minor leagues. Yeah. And when we see two-pitch majority guy, like Strider just got tagged for eight runs in four innings. It's to the end of last week. It'll happen, but the fact that it's not happening at the minor league level is really encouraging. So honestly, I, I'm taking some positives away from a quote-unquote bad stretch for Gavin Williams, but the fact that he was so on and this version of him being off is still really good It is incredibly encouraging.
0: I, I agree. And you looking at the last couple starts, we just talked about command versus control on the Just Baseball show. And Gavin Williams has great control. The command has been great in spots. I think right now he's fighting some command issues and I'm looking at the home runs. He gave up two were middle, middle fastballs. One was to Samad Taylor and one was to, to uh, chase Strumpf. And then he got ambushed by Jair Camargo. And then he got ambushed by Johan Camargo on two (laughs) high fastballs, which is really interesting. So and both of them, by the way, were were not really hit that well. One left the bat at 90 miles an hour and just oh. flew over the wall. So oh, well. it could be a little bit of batted ball luck, and and that's about it. I'm not overly concerned about you know what what he's doing here. And by the way, I think one of the the last home runs he's given up on his fastball was to to Matt McClain and that insane start that he had. So it was really just I think a little bit of two bad pitches. One ball that shouldn't have got out, and all of a sudden we're like, "What's happening?" And and that's just sometimes how it is. Over yeah. the last few starts, he has been way better with mixing in the curveball and mixing in the changeup. I think that's been a point of emphasis. But that might also be why he's struggling with the walks because he's trying to throw pitches that he doesn't locate as well. Yeah. The curveball is is just not landing for a strike near nearly as much as the other pitches, but it's a decent pitch. So, I think he's in this work through period. And once it comes out the other side, he's ready. So I think that comes in three starts, four starts.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think we're talking about weeks instead of months for Gavin
0: Williams. Yeah. Deep cut and a guy that gives me legitimate PTSD is Evan McKendry. Uh (laughs) Um, Evan McKendry of the Tampa Bay Rays. Let me preface, such a good dude. And another guy that I would definitely like to get on the pod. Grew up in the same area as him. He went to uh, rival high school and we played that team two times every year and sometimes three in the in the playoffs. He was their ace. Our team was was good to the point where, like, we had Griffin going We had those guys. I batted ninth and was the scrappy guy. But damn, did it suck. Then we had to face Evan McKendry three times a year because he is exactly what he is now. He was throwing nine, 88 90 then with just a nasty cutter and he would just spot it. And i dude, what am I supposed to do? Like, I mean, even even guys like Griffin Conine, Zach Cohen, the pro guys were, were Mike Rothenberg, my friend I just mentioned. They were battling against him, but this guy would shove it up our ass every single time. Not because he was the hardest thrower that we saw. I mean, that was hard for high school, but how crafty he was and how much confidence he had in the zone. And it's just been so amazing. I don't like to talk about high school baseball in the pod too much, but the reason why I'm telling the story is it's been amazing to see him be that at every stop and just getting More and more razor sharp and perfect. There's no reason why a guy with that stuff should be getting out at the AAA level the way he does, but he is. He's got it mentally. He's a a competitor. He did it at the University of Miami. He did it through the lower levels of the minor leagues, and he's doing it in AAA right now. This is not a guy that the Rays are going to throw into the rotation, but he has been so good in AAA recently that I think this is a guy that if you need a spot start, you need somebody to fill in. You know he's going to come up there and give you a shot. And I think he's somebody that can also be a swingman for you. You look at the last six starts, Jack, a 1.04 ERA. Actually, let's go to seven starts, an 0.92 ERA, 24% K rate. He gets ground balls. He's kept the ball in the yard, only one home run in that span, 35 strikeouts. He's just crafty, man. I think he can just get outs.
1: As, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like As lazy as it sounds, my analysis is he's the best get-outs guys in AAA right now, which is so unfortunate that I can't add any more than that. But that's what he's doing, man. He's punching out seven and a half per nine, and he's got a sub three. He is a swing man. He's got five appearances out of the pen. He's got eight starts. Get him up to Tampa. They are the kings of the multi-inning relievers. You're telling me you don't want
0: McKendry over Josh Fleming some nights. Yeah. Give me McKendry. His cutter has been just unhittable. His four seamer has been this just kind of invisible that 26% in zone whiff rate over his last five starts. I'm telling you, when I watch him pitch, it just like takes me back. I'm like in the on deck circle, like, what am I going to do? That was a guy that was sort of like, what do I do? Because if you don't hit the one fastball a game that maybe he misses with, Good luck, you gotta try to cheat for a cutter. And then the second he sees you cheat for the cutter, combio or curveball, you're on your front foot. Like he just outsmarts you. And sometimes there's guys that find success that way.
1: Now, if he can be a surgeon, he's a big leaguer. And, yeah. and he has been surgical so far this year. I gotta, I gotta get him onto
0: it at some point. Yeah, you gotta talk <laughs> oh, to him. Great, great dude. We were supposed to talk to him when we went out and made that trip to the uh to Biloxi, but then yeah. They had a little bit of like a. It was still kind of COVID time. They had a little bit of a scare there, and he's like, "We don't know what we're supposed to do." But yeah. I'm just gonna play it safe. I said, "Don't blame you." So right. we'll we'll have to connect with him soon. Marlon's arm reliever. Mm-hmm. This is the most dominant reliever in minor league baseball right now. I won't take another answer. I won't.
1: Anthony. Uh, Mar- no. Hey, hold on. the The closer
0: uh, that I found in the Phillies org, Orion uh, Kirkering. Orion Kirkering. Has he been better than than the numbers I'm about to spit out at you? I don't know. Let's see. I'll pull him up. Anthony Maldonado's last four appearances, five and two thirds innings. He's in triple A for the Marlins, by the way, five and two thirds innings, no hits, one walk, 13 strikeouts. That is a zero ERA, obviously a 76% K rate and a negative 0.49 FIP. I know that's a small sample size. Let's go through. What you can go through any any amount of games. We actually talked about him. People might remember. We talked about him in the Rule Five Draft episode. And we also as, talked about him in
1: the World Baseball Classic episode. In the World
0: Baseball Classic. Yeah, he's actually come up probably more on this podcast than any in America. His last 21 games, I think this is the whole season that I'm pulling from right here. A 165 ERA, a 47% K rate, 48 walks to nine or 48 strikeouts to nine walks, 12 hits and 27 and a third inning. Like th- this dude is. Disgusting. Why is he not in a big league bullpen right now? Why was he not selected in the Rule 5 draft? His slider, I think, is one of the best pitches in the minor leagues. Opponents are hitting 059 against it. They're four for 68 against his slider, and his fastball is mid 90s. Maldi's good, man. Yeah. So Maldonado,
1: I remember seeing him in Pensacola when I mean, we were down in Pensacola last year, and I was like, this is a physically imposing MF. If he's a reliever, like I'm scared of this guy. If he's standing 60 feet, six inches away from me, uh, and Maldonado is throwing like a physically imposing guy. So just the surface level numbers are absolutely nuts for him so far this year in Triple I mean, 16 Ks per nine, three walks per nine, and a buck six five in 27 and a third innings. He probably is better than Orion Kirkring at this point, 20 appearances, nine in low A, 11 in high A. Orion Kirkering, 22 and two-thirds innings, three earned as a one-one-nine ERA, 36 Ks, five walks. But, like, dude, Maldonado is doing it at the highest rung on the minor league ladder. So, yeah, I mean, with, with how many jokes you can make about the Marlins bullpen, even though several of those guys have been really good this year.
0: Solid this year somehow. Yeah.
1: But, like, there's always going to be space for an Anthony Maldonado in the Marlins bullpen.
0: Sam, there's a space for an Anthony. i to not own any bullpen. i say bullpen. that. Uh, we'll wrap up with the Ben Brown conversation. Osvaldo Beto also made his debut for the Pirates. He, he looked all right. Is there yeah. anyone else on the AAA front? Because you put Michael McGreevy. He got shelled last time. I'm not yeah. a McGreevy guy. So I honestly don't really want to talk on it. has been fine. hurt. The Pirates are in a weird spot. Or excuse me, the, the Cardinals are in I a weird know. spot there. Quinn Priester, do you think we could see him? Um, that's a good question.
1: And I was asked about that on Pirates pregame last night. I went on to talk for it mentally. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was talking with Dan Zangrilli about Beto and then about Priester. And Dan asked a good question. It was when Priester looks off. Why is it? It's like, huh, that's a good one. And my reasoning for that is I think he tries to match the moment at points and he can overthrow a bit. He's 22 years old, man. And high school righties do need to go station to station. High school lefties need to go station to station, just high school arms in general. Um, Priester, like the start that jumped out to me that said, hmm, I understand why he still has some stuff he's got to work out. And he's strung together some really good starts as of late. I think it was a rough April. And since May 1, he has flipped the script and he has been. I don't know how much stock he plays in a quality start, but he is just ripping quality starts left and With right. With a
0: guy like him, you do, because yeah. he's never going to give you the, the six innings, 12 Ks. To, no, it's and I think that the answer is, my answer to that question would be, is he hitting his spots? Because he's he's not a guy that's going to be a big whiff pitcher ever. Yeah, The stuff's just not like that, but it is, it is the kind of stuff that just gets a lot of weak contact, keeps you yeah. on off balance, like a much better version of Evan McKendrick we were talking about. Uh, He is that guy. So when he's, when he's right, you see it, but when he's off, it's like, it's kind of batting practice because it's low nineties running over the middle and in a secondary that you don't have to totally fear. He doesn't have the bailout breaking ball or or anything like that. It's good, but I don't know if it's totally bailout, if that makes sense, but you could, you've seen more, is that hypothesis fair? It is is. Anywhere that you you'd add or anything that you'd add to that. Yes. So Priester, I think
1: he tried to match a moment a little bit too much in his worst start of the year. He walked six. He didn't get out of the second in Columbus against Gavin Williams. And, you know, like Quinn talking to him, even before he he matched up with Simeon Woods Richardson at the beginning of the year, like he ID that and was like, this is a chance for me to like prove I'm better than, you know, my, my opponent, which is a cool competitive way to look at it. Gavin Williams throws differently than Quinn Priester does. And, and Quinn, he threw like his hardest fastballs of the year. He was grabbing 94, 95, but he was yanking it. So I think he was overthrowing in that outing. Um, I think that he was trying to to muscle up, and that's not the best version of Priester. Best version of Priester is is soft contact early in counts. Um the pitch usage is also differed on a start by start basis. Like his curveball is so fun to watch, and his curveball is good. But his curveball was hardly used for a couple of starts. He was sinker slider for the most part. And then he started mixing the curveball in. So I just want to see consistency with usage. And then I think he can be pretty close to ready.
0: Gotcha. No, I, I think that's that sounds about right to me. And I think he's going to be a solid four starter at the big league level, which yeah. is good. One more bullpen arm, and then we'll wrap up with Ben Brown. Cody Funderburk. Have you seen Funderburk at all? But yeah, Cody Funderburk
1: is a – um what Tigers guy, right? Funderburk is now Minnesota. Okay. Yeah, I have seen Cody Funderburk. He's a big guy that throws hard, right? I don't have any like imprinted memories. He's of a Cody lefty
0: Funderburg. big dude and honestly just gets out. <laughs> I think you're thinking of I think there was another Funderburk that you're thinking of. But, yeah, there definitely was. But Cody, so I wasn't expecting you to know Cody Funderburk. I don't know much on Cody Funderburk, but looking at the numbers, spotting the fastball, getting out getting whiff and uh, the twins could use some more bullpen depth. That's for sure. He really is a reverse splits guy. So it's weird, but you can use those guys as reverse splits guys. I've seen the Marlins do that in the past with, with certain players. Uh, I think he's an interesting reliever and a relief option. He's been throwing really well of late. And I, I just feel like that's somebody that needs to be on radars. If we're talking relievers, he's funky and he just gets out. So that's another guy that I think could get called up to the Twins' bullpen relatively soon. We'll wrap up with with Ben Brown, who turned in a really good start against your Indianapolis Indians the other yeah. day, yesterday. Yeah. What was interesting is I didn't get to watch the start. You told me that the, the breaking ball wasn't really there. And what's interesting on top of that is he was coming off of Back-to-back starts, five walks, six walks. He kept runs off the board in the second of those two, but walked six, two earned runs. I mean, that's not what you love to see, but it's fine. It's He's working through things. It's not imminent big ligger because of that. But yesterday, six innings, six hits, no runs, no walks, one hit by pitch, 11 Ks. And you said the breaking ball wasn't there. That's a guy just saying, here's my heater. Try and hit it.
1: That's the thing. He was he was flipping the glove up. And by the way, the guy that I was thinking about was Kyle Funkhauser.
0: Kyle Funkhauser. Yeah.
1: Funkhauser, former Lowell Cardinal was with the Tigers for a minute. Yeah. Ben Brown was 55% four seamer, 45% slider. Um, there were some pitches that were tagged as a sweeper because they, you know, swept a little bit more than his typical slider. Um, there was a, there was a pitch tagged as a cutter. There was a pitch tagged as a sinker and a change of, like those. Yeah.
0: I want to add to I, I, what I'm looking at here in terms of, of the shape and stuff. I, I do think that there was two different breaking balls he was throwing. I think that there's a curveball and I think that there's a slider.
1: Okay, interesting. So I, I saw some vertical drop on one and like not one. I saw some vertical drop on a couple, but the slider was fine. The slider got seven whiffs. I've got on Savant here um, on 16 swings, which is good. This cat got eight whiffs on his four-seam fastball. And there were some plate appearances – where it felt like Brown was flipping his glove up and saying, here's the heater, match it. Yeah. And it was bottom of the zone. It was top of the zone. It was east to west. He was putting the fastball for for inning spurts absolutely anywhere he wanted. I didn't think this was the best version of the Ben Brown slider that I had seen. No, no way. The The fact that he dominated with his fastball and at points with his fastball alone should tell you how freaking special this fastball is.
0: Yeah, and, and how good he can be because we've seen those breaking balls be great. I yeah. think there was a level of probably still getting used to spinning it without the tacked ball. And Yuri Perez is just now throwing his changeup. By the way, Yuri, unbelievable. He is so good. We're gonna that that's a whole other episode we got to dedicate. Yeah. I'm gonna write something up on him too. Yuri mentioned the changeup taking some time to find a feel for. Ben Brown rips it. And I, I think that there could be some time to be. Found of just trying to get that feel for the the breaking ball. It might be a little inconsistent for him. Eighty percent strike rate, almost on the fastball, while getting thirty percent in zone lift. While literally saying like you're throwing the glove up, like you said, that's a really good baseline. <laughs> when you got that fastball, you got a great chance of being a big league starter and a good one. I I have a lot of confidence in the two breaking balls. I think they blend together too much. Clearly, Trackman agrees, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's part of the problem. the The Cubs have a pitching lab. They they work hard to to dive into those things. lot will basically all teams do, but they're, they're very forward with that. I think that that's something that will, will get adjusted. Maybe they want to wait to call him up before then. I think he still gets a big league look this year because he can ride that fastball to success learn a lot at the big league level and go from there. But the fact that Brown did what he did, given what you're saying, you know, with the struggles of the breaking ball is a testament to just how special he can be when he puts it all together. And I do think he will put it all together. I think this is, I still think, so we're, we're doing the top 100 update. It's, it's getting there. A lot of guys graduating. A lot of guys, because we had Casey Schmidt. We had guys that I think are right. just now entering some lists that are graduating. Gillian, yeah. yeah. So, is this a top 100 arm from what you just saw?
1: Yeah, he absolutely is a top 100 arm, and a I top think 100 prospects
0: that I should say top 100 prospect pitcher.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. This is this is 100 a top 100 prospect for me. Um, the the last thing that I want to add on Brown, we mentioned like there were points where he only had his fastball and he was dominating. I just want to run you through this lineup here because it is a mix of prospect intrigue and guys with legitimate major league service.
0: That should hit fastball is when they know it's coming.
1: Yes. He dominated with a fastball against Nick Gonzalez, Henry Davis, Andy Rodriguez, Miguel Andujar, Cal Mitchell, Jared Triolo, who's a good prospect, Aaron Shackleford, who's got an eight fifty OPS, and Ryan Vallade. Yeah. Like those are all guys with either big league service or marquee prospects in the Pirates organization that he dominated with a heater.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. That's that's not the easiest lineup in the world. And no. how about Henry Davis, too? We'll talk about him next week. But he had two hits yeah. in that game still. He has been phenomenal. He, he might be one of our is next- 109. Everything is 109 might be one of our next imminent big leaguer conversations before you know it. It's crazy. Him and him and Andy together is, is a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm, I'm envious of you on that.
1: Yeah. Two quick shout outs. Osvaldo Beto, 27 year old, made his, uh, made his debut. Our guy, Taylor Davis has had um, a big imprint on Beto, just being a more confident version of himself. And, you know, Beto's a guy with a big league heater and and a good slider uh, that, that he can, you know, pepper to right-handed hitters. So, yeah, good for Beto. And then another call to the show: Chris Adams Wall, who you met in Montgomery, the voice of the Montgomery Biscuits, is now the new pre and post game guy for the Tampa Bay Rays. So, congratulations! Oh, awesome. To
0: congratulations to him. That's that's big time. Yep. That's great. Awesome guy. That that's so cool. It's, it's amazing. We were talking about it at that point. Well, what do you think's next? Where are you going? And then next time I hear about this, like, guy, I don't, he's don't at the know. Show. He's at yes. the show. Congratulations to him. That's awesome. Looking forward to seeing him on the big stage. That'll do it for this episode. We will talk to you next week about a bunch of different things. I think a lot of different performers, players that have been promoted. There's a lot of trends that I want to talk about. And I think we're going to peel back the curtain and kind of just have an open conversation on air about some of the players that we are kind of on the edge about on the top 100 and give you a little bit of a clue into our process here as we get ready to update that list. In the coming weeks. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you very soon.